Zone World. I'm back from this one man tour. Thank you to everybody that came out, everybody that set up shows. It was a real good time. My guest this week is R.M. O'Brien. He's a poet and a playwright and the man behind Nuclear Power Pants, one of my favorite bands of all time. This was a heavy interview. We got into some talk about anxiety and depression and religion and all kinds of things like that and I thought it was a very illuminating interview and I learned a lot about where he's at because I haven't really got to talk to him the way that we used to talk. The artwork this week as always is by Mike Riley. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com And once again, we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at splicetoday.com. Let's Let's go. go. Uh, I had a lot of fun as a kid in Oswego. But we knew that we lived in a place where there wasn't, like, you weren't, like, the latest, coolest thing was not necessarily coming up your way. You know what I mean? So it was all about, like, you had to, like, find older people with mixtapes. And if you had heard about, like, a cool band, like, it was, like, your responsibility to, like, let everybody know. Because you knew that they didn't Mm. know about it. For being kind of a mid-sized, small, middle-small, large, tiny town, uh, there was, like, a fair amount of kids in high school who were into punk. And it was kind of even to the point where there was, like... There would be, I mean, everyone would hang out, but like, you know, there would be like this handful of kids, like they're really into pop punk. And these kids are into like ska and punk. And these kids are into like, you know, 1980 LA. And then these kids are into like 1983 DC. And then these kids are into like 1977 New York. You know, like it would be like enough. uh, There were enough people that there was even little like sub scenes. So there were, like I said, there were people who like would find a, uh, mix CD probably even at like whatever they were called before they all became FYEs I don't know if you check out FYE at the, nah it wasn't that actually <laughs> but it was like you know the CD store at the mall yeah yeah so you just like if you knew one band's name you know like you know like you've heard of Richard Hell and the Voidoids you'd like then go find a comp CD that had one track from them and then you'd hear like it'd be also with a track from Suicide and Perubu and whatever and then kind of keep putting it together and actually even though it's like it would be very cool to not be into spin spin put out this alternative record guide i don't know if you ever checked it out Mm -hmm. i've got to still have it somewhere um but it was crucial uh to me it was like you know it was called alternative and like alternative is one of those words like doesn't mean anything but it was like it was basically like hip-hop uh punk and indie rock yeah and it was just like um so it was crucial if you're growing up like in Oswego. So if you listen to the Dead Kennedys, you'd like check out this entry in this like alternative record guide on the Dead Kennedys, and then they'd be like, "Oh yeah, like you know, negative trend and like Flipper, or sort of this like associated act." And so you know, you could even be like the most 
tenuous connection. Right, right. And then you'd be like, okay, I've got to, like, check out Flipper. And then you'd get there, and then, the, you know, like, it would keep kind of connecting this, like, web of groups. And, and then it would just all be about, like, buying these CDs, like, ordering them, like, sight unseen. Just, like, being like, oh, okay, yeah. I've got to get something from television. I've got to, like, get the, you know, this record. And it was just, like, there was a period of a few years in high school where I felt like uh, finding music was so easy. Like, every single record that I bought without listening to was, like, life-changing. Mm. And then and then there was a big, long period afterwards where I felt like I couldn't find anything good to listen to. Yeah. But, Why not, you think? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I was like, I was totally, maybe I was like just really, really receptive. Like even now, you know, probably actually looking back, like I was really, really into this documentary, uh, uh, Decline of Western Civilization. Right. So it's this LA punk stuff. It's like Germs, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, X, and, uh, you know, who am I thinking of? Fear, right? So all of these bands were like crucial to me at the time. And and obviously some of their songs are still cool and the sound is cool, but I kind of look back and I'm like, you know, like maybe some of this is not as like revolutionary as I thought it was. Yeah. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe it's like, like, so fear does this thing in decline. If you haven't seen it, uh, where they're like they abuse the audience right they're like mean and they're like they tell these misogynistic jokes and they make fun of people with long hair and they do all this stuff and i was like oh this is like brilliant right you know what i mean like being a teenage kid i was like wow yeah it's amazing they just like abuse the audience so then like you'd then when you get older and you've seen like so many people try that shtick right and you're like actually it's just kind of like cheap and easy and and then you also, like, have a diff- different attitude about, like, misogyny in the rock scene and, like, right. how that's, like, a real thing. And all that stuff kind of comes to bear and you look back and you're like, ah, it's kind of stupid. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And you realize, like, it was probably still kind of stupid even then. There's a, such a difference between watching it on TV and being like, yeah, they're getting, like, those guys. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Like, if you were there. being in the audience. Like, oh, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because I know you guys did bands mm-hmm. from, like, an early age. Like, was there a point where, like, you felt like your band started to be, like, unique? You know what I mean? Yeah, I I don't know. You know, like, uh, I think that we all got better at that in college. I felt like in Oswego, like, growing up, there were some good musicians in Oswego, and there were some good bands, like... But it it was still, like, small enough that it was kind of easy to impress yourself. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, uh, I think that it was a little later, like, going to college, like, going to SUNY Purchase, where there was, like, just an incredible scene of, like, creative people who... It, that, I just feel like it pushed me in uh, every way. Like, uh, everything I was doing got way more serious and got, mm. like, way better from, from being in high school, where I was sort of, like, just like to hear my own voice or whatever, you know? Right. Right. I was started out at purchase in the, um, classical music composition program. And, uh, Dan Deacon had been at purchase a couple years before me, but he, um, but he was a first year in that program. So he was in some other, uh, major or some other school. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? He was like, uh, liberal arts student and then he became a conservatory yeah. student so we were in the same composition classes anyway 
so he's already been at purchase for a while, and they were doing this like far out um, uh, open mic called the Cave, and uh, so like one of the first things I checked out was the Cave, and it was just like really uh, bizarre and funny and weird, and sometimes very very good, and uh, you just it was just like. I think it was like the first week, maybe even before classes started, like I, I checked out the cave and, uh, and it just ended up being like immediately apparent that there were like very, very creative people there who were, who I was never going to be weirder than. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. no matter what you did. And so then that wasn't even, it's like, there wasn't even really a point in trying. Mm. I mean? And like, what was your first Endeavor up there at purchase. Um, I'm trying to think. I guess probably the first real thing I tried to do. Well, I was writing the classical music, or like, well, not classical music, it's in the classical composition program, you know. I was writing uh, experimental chamber music and stuff up there, and then doing some recitals for that. And then I was doing a band there called Robert Inevitable and the Static. And uh, so that was probably like the first serious thing I did there. And then a little bit after that, it started Nuclear Power Pants uh, there. And then those were the things that I did like for the rest of Purchase. Did the two bands sort of, like, become one band? Well, it was... In one sense, they did, because it was, like... uh, So I would do the static, and I was, like, very precious about that band. um, And I was like, this is gonna be great. And uh, then... Okay, so... Form the static, and then that was, like, everything that I just felt very, 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 like, sentimental about, and, like was, like, so incredibly self-serious with. And then Nuclear Power Pants was like, oh, this is, like, a joke. This is a good opportunity to get my brother in a band because he doesn't play an instrument, and we'll just do, like, whatever, and we'll write the songs in, like, five minutes, and and it'll be bad. And then it was, like, got a much better response with Nuclear Power Pants than with The Static. I felt like it was just a lot easier to get shows and to get people to come out and things like that. Because of, like, the costumes? Or? Well, I think I think that that could definitely be part of it. Like, it had some visual gimmick. But I think it was also, like, I feel like I end up doing better stuff when I care less mm. about it. Or not, yeah. not, not that I care less. Like, that's like I do this great stuff when I don't give a shit. But, I mean, like, I... When I'm having more fun. Yeah. I think the stuff ends up being, like, better, and it communicates better. Like, it's like maybe you find more receptive people. And so then what happened was uh, the static ends (laughs) ignominiously. Like, I don't know. And uh, I revive nuclear power pants, but then it becomes my only uh, thing. So this is, like, 2000... Uh, six, 2007, something like that in Providence. Uh, I, I bring that band back and 
So then it gets to be inherently a little more serious because I actually like care a little more about yeah. making sure everything is tight. And so, and then we nuclear power pants moves from Providence to Baltimore. Oh, and, but sorry to yeah. cut in, but like, right. what? Why the move to Providence? Okay, so it was because I moved to Providence. Because I really liked Arabon Radar and Lightning Bolt. Yes. And uh, I really liked the town. Like, I just thought it was a nice place to walk around. And, yeah. Um, I had... We had gone there on tour. Nuclear Power Pants had played there with Dan uh, in, like, 2005. And we ended up staying with these RISD kids. And they just, like... We had this really great picnic in someone's backyard where we had, like, broiled red bell peppers and I just felt like this was this was it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, I wanna go back and have more these red bell peppers every summer. So um and then there was like so everyone else was moving to Baltimore. And then also the person that I was making all my living decisions with at the time did not want to move to Baltimore mm. specifically. And probably really wanted to move to New York. And I really didn't want to move to New York. Yeah. So then we were like, let's both be unhappy. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. Uh, so, so then, we, so we, so Providence was sort of like the one that we could agree on, I guess. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, but Providence sort of ended up being like a place. Like, there's a lot of really awesome people in Providence, and there's a lot of really awesome things happening. But there's like a certain, like. There's just like a certain cold coldness in New England that, like in Southern New England, yeah, that that uh, goes to people's goes into people's bones. It's like there's like a a certain unfriendliness in Southern New England, uh, and uh, and and that and it's and it's also present present in Providence. Um, and so I sort of, I sort of felt like after a while I was, maybe I was just depressed there. I, I don't know. I, I also, it's kind of not fair. I feel like weird saying something negative about Providence when, um, they've been really cool to me. And I also had this like terrible meltdown at this show one time and probably like, so my point is that there are people in Providence who probably are like, if they know who I am that could connect me to this terrible meltdown I had at this one show, <laughs> they'd be like, this guy was the has... meltdown because of the coldness. No, this the melt. Well, the meltdown was like, uh, my wife, Melanie was pregnant and yet I was going on tour. And so I was like, I think that the tour was maybe already booked by the time we found out that oh, we were right. going to have a kid, you know? And so we were like, all right, well, I guess the tour has just got to go on. Yeah. And uh, I think that it, like, completely, the anxiety was, like, crippling, yeah. you know? It was like, the anxiety was intense and crazier than I thought it was. And so then, like, we were having some sound issues at a sh- at a show, and I just like went completely like off the handle, and uh, it was probably like fear style. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I don't think I said anything like uh, like politically <laughs> ridiculous. I just like uh, I was just really mean to like, or just you know like re- just really brutal to the person working the sound, and mm. uh, 
I was just like complaining. I guess I was just I was just being a baby. I was just like up there yeah. like screaming about like why can't we do this? Blah blah blah. I was just like didn't know what to do, and I, I but I was like I had this like feeling in the middle of that where it was like, you know like. It was just, like, there was just something about, like... And people... The, the room had, like, emptied out, like, mm. also, like... So there was, like, a big crowd there. But then it was a Halloween show. And the 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 bigger deal band actually ended up playing before us. And we were, like, the small-time band, you know? And by the time we got our stuff set up, it was, like, everybody was... Virtually everybody was gone. Yeah. And uh, so then I just had this, like, crazy feeling where I was, like... Uh, you know, Melanie is like back home, like pregnant, uh, you know, taking care of everything by herself. And here I am out in Providence playing to a near empty room Yeah, where I can't hear anything that's going on. Like, why am I doing this? Totally. And so anyway, so that was like one of the worst. That was. It was like a, one of. My biggest regrets is the way I acted in Providence that day. I oh, hate wow. it so much. Yeah. No, it's obviously it was my fault, and uh, everyone everyone in Providence was cool to me. It's my favorite town, and uh, <laughs> I do really like Providence a lot. Yeah. Now I feel like I'm saying it like as if I as if it's not true, but it's like I'm afraid to like to say one thing and then like whatever. No, no. I and people are in, have been incredibly awesome to me in Providence, yeah. and I've been incredibly inspired by people. And like the whole Wham City thing, it's like owes something to like. Uh, the way Providence did things in oh, like yeah. the late nineties and stuff. Yeah, so it was eventually just like, yeah, this is not happening up here. Like, well, yeah, so so that when I had that meltdown, that was after I'd already right, moved right, down right. to Baltimore and stuff. So that was a whole different thing. So like, yeah, in, in Providence, it was like again, it's probably all totally my fault. I I don't know, I couldn't get out of my own way. I just felt like so I started nuclear power pants back up there, and uh, this is I don't want this to be a sad sack story. Everything's going really great in my life, but so yeah. the. But it just felt like we couldn't get arrested. I just couldn't get a show. You know, we, we 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 couldn't get anything happening in Providence. And I just probably wasn't feeling very outgoing while I was there either. Because, right, like, right. Um, there were Providence types that I met, like, only after I moved out. Like, that I probably should have met while I was there. Right. And just, like, cool, nice people. But, um, so, yeah, I guess I just, I liked a lot of things about it. I had really nice restaurants and uh, their was a really great library, but, uh, I just couldn't, I just couldn't make use of like the resources and really like kind of find my way there. So I was only there a couple of years, but, uh, and then it was like, all right, I'm going to go to Baltimore where there are a lot of people I know and try something different. So that was like 2008, like May, 2008 yeah. to Baltimore. And then, but tr- doing the band thing there was fun. Well, you know, it's like, there were just cool, just friends there who just like took us under their wing. Like, I don't know if that's really exactly how you, I'd say it, but it was just easier to get a show and more people who would be willing to play with us and uh, people that we really, really liked playing with and really believed in as people and artists and everything. And I think that there's probably like a streak of, I don't know, uh, I feel like, I, I don't know. If I'm not like, it's like hard for me sometimes. I totally value being a nice person. I feel like I'm making myself out like to not care, but I do care. Um, but like, if I'm not into someone's art, it's like hard for me to pretend yeah. that I am. Like, 
Whatever. That, that That's all right. I want everyone to pretend. But I'm, for my behalf, if everyone can please keep pretending that they're into my art because uh, I'm sensitive. But no, like, so it's probably like ridiculous, but it, it's like it's like if a tour, let's say like a tour would be like a really great idea. But if I'm not like 100 percent feeling the band that's like inviting me out, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like, even if it was like really stupid to think that way, whereas like if. I really like the people I'm playing with and believe in their stuff, then then it's like I'll do whatever. So, like, getting to play a lot of shows with Dan and Future Islands and, uh, and, and everybody else in Baltimore. I mean, like, uh, like there's so many amazing bands at that point, like Ponytail and Ecstatic Sunshine and um, a lot of awesome stuff going on, and it just felt so good to, to play. Yeah. With them. And I felt like you guys, first of all, I feel like it was, like, the awesomest lineup. like The Baltimore like, lineup? Yeah. Like, was that the first time it was, like, the singers, like, back, like the three? Oh, yeah, yeah. So singers. we got the extra, yeah, more vocalists, right? That yeah. was We did that in Baltimore first. That's true. And I felt like it was, like, started to be really well received. Oh, that's cool. Because it's funny, like, you know, like, when you check yourself out on Google and stuff. Yeah. It was like, for a while, all I could ever find was someone, like, just people being like, I don't see what everybody sees in these guys. But I couldn't find anyone being like, these guys are cool. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? There would only be people, there was, like, backlash with no, like, original lash. Right. <laughs> right. That's another doubt. It's like, I, I'm saying all this kind of negative stuff. I, I don't feel negative about it, though. I feel really good about it. Yeah. Was it soon after moving to Baltimore that you did the long tour with, with Dan? Yeah, right. Exactly. It was. It was the next year, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it must have been. Yeah, because the 2008 was like the tour with you, right? That no, was no, that after. was with Bubba Salmon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there you go. And so we did a tour, right. So that was like a tour with Bubba Salmon. And then uh, in 2009, it was a huge tour with Dan. And then in and what was that? What was that like? I oh, feel it was like, awesome. It yeah. was it was totally awesome. Uh, you know, it was just like really. It was just like a totally different world to like. Y- you know, like when you get to play where you're like, I'm not worrying about like people showing up. Yeah. Like all there's like when you go on tour, it's like you could worry about like every single aspect of the show. You know. And then we were just in a situation where we knew that, like, there was probably going to be, like, uh, like, all the shows were very well advanced. So there was, like, we knew that there was going to be everything we needed. If we needed a kitchen, there was going to be a kitchen. If we needed, like, you know, it was going to be enough room for everything. Everything just was going to make sense on a technical level, logistical level. And then... Uh, you knew that it was like promoted that people were going to show up because it's a Dan Deacon show and everything. And then all you had to worry about was your set, like just trying to do it well. And it wasn't just sort of like, I hope a million things fall into place and we're good tonight. You know what I mean? It was just like, um, it was very cool. I, 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 I recommend it to everyone. I wish I could, that all of our uh, tours could be like opening for someone. Yeah. Awesome. Did you feel like you maintained some fans through that? I don't know. You know, like I feel like, like I like I never really feel like felt like we got to the place where I like 
like felt the presence of fans. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you'd find like a stray person who was like, "Oh, hey, this was cool" or something. Yeah. But I we never reached a level where there was like we've got these fans and so that means <laughs> you know anything. Like right, like, right. like oh, so we got to like think about what the fans think or oh, is our fans going to be okay with us not touring this fall? Like, you know. Right. It was like never ever a thing. It was always kind of like we were still just uh like I felt like every time we played a show, it was like you know, like you you like every time I designed a set, it was always like as if people had never seen us. Yeah, it was like okay, if someone's never seen us, we got to play like this, totally. and we got to do this, and we got to like try to convince them and persuade them, you know, like over this period of time and everything. It wasn't like okay, so our people probably are like sick of this, <laughs> right? Right? right. Like, or they need they need us to play this <laughs> this track. I feel like you guys had the most like stage type of like performance yeah yeah that like any band ever had for like <laughs> yeah, DIY yeah. Kind of stuff. yeah what were the like the influences in making it so like well you know like so it started out like I say it started out kind of as like this band is going to be as stupid as possible plus um Ben Fergal uh who's an artist and uh and a musician uh in Philly now he was at Purchase and he was a founding member of the band, so like he was designing the heads, and he was making a lot of like his art at the time included a lot of these like uh, minimal monster shapes, yeah. and so the original heads were like him making three dimensional versions of his monster art. And uh, so a lot of that visual stuff was from him, and probably the blacklight sensitive concept was from him. Yeah. Uh, because he would use that in his like art shows. Uh, right, right. Would use blacklights and things. Um, so that was like all him in the beginning, and then, you know, it was just sort of like first idea. You would just go with it, and so like, uh, we're like, oh, and we'll be like, you know, tied together. Right, be, right, like you know, conjoined, and it's like okay, so we're conjoined. It was like sort of like you make these rules for yourself that then you have to like live with forever, but they had <laughs> they had like no thought going into them. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then it was just sort of like one of the big problems actually with uh, with doing like having this big visual component, you know, was that people would say something like we would get, like, someone would write about us on a blog or there'd be, like, a review and it would say, like, they're theatrical. You right. know, they'd say, like, it's this, it's this theatrical rock band and it would be, like, but we're not theatrical. Right. And, like, we would, so it would, like, kind of, like, I think it was set up this weird disappointment because we were, like, we would always want people to call us just a costume band. Like, we wanted mm-hmm. want it to, like, not act like there's going to be... um like people would say there's there's like these theatrics or someone would say we prance around the stage or there's like this big thing and it's like there are bands that do things like right like aquabats would like fight someone or like guar would have like yeah a lot of things happening and we really didn't have a lot of things happening we just had like a whole bunch of uh neon like gear right you know what i mean <laughs> i almost thought it was like the mentality was almost what like a like rock band from like the fifties would yeah. be or something. Just like make it look as cool as, yeah, yeah, yeah. as possible as possible. Yeah. Well you know something too, like and I think that you could I like you know, I think you'll totally like get this is like 
when you're coming up in the DIY thing, it's like, and Dan is like, Dan Deacon is, is like the king of this, is that like, you're, you're at the mercy of all this stuff. Like you, you know, you're playing like a community hall and then you're playing a bar yeah, and it might not be like set up right. And the PA may be like awful and it just may have like a totally terrible vibe. Like, just in general, just might, like, you know, like, you know, you go to a certain venue and it's like, no one wants to dance here. No one right. wants to stand up. You go to somewhere, people start sitting on the floor yeah. and stuff. And so I felt like a lot of the really cool bands, the bands that would go over really well at these, like, DIY shows were the ones who could, um, like, sort of take whatever situation and just, like, neutralize, like, all the variables uh-huh. So, like, Dan would tour with his own PA and would just, right. like, know how to, like, run it, like, anywhere. So it would basically sound the same right. everywhere he went. And then, like, if we just, like, covered things in neon and and played under exclusively blacklight, like, we were, no matter where we played, it was going to look, we were going to control how it looked. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And I felt like that that was a big part of it. And you're also, like, playing, you know, you start out, you're playing on a... a a bill with like six bands and everyone is unknown. And so like you're really fighting uh, for attention a lot. Right. More like aggressively, you know? And there's something about, I feel like just like the default mood of those like six unknown band shows is not good. Yeah. yeah, It's special or anything. Right. Well, it's sort of like, it's so, it's so much more fun to like, go like into the adjacent room so you can like talk to your friend right, rather right. than like hang out where there's a bunch of bands you don't know. Did you guys get down with like Eric from Erebon Radar's label? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So we were it was cool. We got to we I'm trying to think. I booked Chinese Stars to play at Purchase like once or maybe twice. And then I guess I booked them to play at Baltimore and uh, at Ben's place in the Annex, Annex yeah. 3E, right, a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, like well, a- several years ago now, I guess like 2009 or something. So uh, it was like Chinese Stars was on tour with Fang Island, and it was kind of interestingly like right when Fang Island got like this positive Pitchfork review, oh, and yeah. they like blew up in the middle of tour. What kind of band? I don't even remember. They were like a very, very uh, happy sounding, um, like sort of heavy shredding band. Yeah, that's right. It was sort of shreddy and yeah. like, but super, super happy. And I think they had like high five each other on stage and things. Right. Like they right, had like right. the super um, happy vibe. And so it was Chinese Stars and Fang Island were on tour. And then it was like, we, I, we put ourselves on the bill and, uh, it was like Video Hippo's last show. That's right. Uh, and so that ended up being like a really awesome, fun show. And so I met, well, I'd already, <laughs> I'd met Eric, but that was before, but that was where he heard us play. And so he was like posy about the band and, um, and, uh, and that was like through that, that like he offered to like sort of re-release the Wicked Eats the Warrior on Anchor Brain. That's awesome. Did that feel like cool to be like? Because I, I I feel like you guys are influenced by them. 
Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Did it feel, like, cool to be, like, and it's all good? <laughs> yeah, no, it was cool. Well, yeah, like, oh, ab- absolutely. Like, definitely. I mean, I think when it comes down to it, we don't, like, actually sound like Arab or Chinese stars. No. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, we're, like, if we were trying to rip them off, like, we would be doing a pretty bad job right. of it. But, um, and I don't, I mean, and they're, like, both those bands are, like, completely amazing. And, of course, like, got to say that Doomsday Student, uh, which oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric's band right now, and uh, dudes from Arab and Chinese stars are, like, totally awesome. Um, and I love Eric's stuff. And so it was very, very cool because it, it yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, uh, I'm a huge fan of their stuff, so it was, it was awesome to, to have him, like, be into it, yeah, and then not kind of be like, uh, you know, you're ripping off or anything like that. So that was really cool. Do you feel like having the record be re-released like helped people hear it? Um, it was the, the funny thing about it was like, I mean, definitely. Uh, the the what was the thing I was most excited about besides just like that it was really cool to put it out with Anchor Brain because I think that label is great. Um, but that we were going to go on that tour. So that tour where I had the meltdown, right? Right. Uh, it was being booked by Ballistic Missile Booking. So that was like Anchor Brains. It was like who they retained, essentially, for booking, is my yeah. understanding. So being on Anchor Brain got us this booking agent, and he was super awesome. And um, he had booked this great tour for us, and... That meltdown show in Providence that was like the worst night of my life and and uh, the people I love had to tell me I needed to never act like that again. Mm. Um, that was like only a few shows into the tour. And then the next day, uh, the like the engine block and the, the school bus cracked. Jesus Christ. And then there were like these heroic efforts by like the, the mechanically inclined members of the band to like... Uh, plus Jeff Nosatch, to yeah. uh, to like fix it and like make have the tour go on, and uh, it just proved impossible, and so we had to cancel the whole rest. Oh yeah, of the of the thing. So we kind of never got to go on like our big coming out. Fuck tour. <laughs> that was that was the yeah because I remember Heather telling me about like trying to. Like, pull one school bus with another school bus, it was, and then they both got, like, stuck in the mud or something. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Well, that was... Yeah, it was terrible. That was... A, there was another time, another situation where we were going to play a show with Dan in February. We were going on, like, a short, like, maybe four-day tour, and the bus we needed was in West Virginia, and February is just the worst month of the year to try to do anything. Yeah. And um, we couldn't get... That we had a guy over in West Virginia, our man Kevin O'Meara, right? So he's like trying to drive the bus up like a mud mountain. Oh yeah, and just like literally physically, it was like Fitzcarraldo or something, like trying to get like the ship over the mountain. It was like, but in this version, it's like couldn't do it. Yeah, and um, and we just had to had to not go on any of those dates because we couldn't get the bus out of West Virginia. So yeah, you know, but it's like totally classic. Like everybody's got those like completely ridiculous stories totally and in fact even before those things happened my take on touring was always that like um 
the baseline of touring is that, like, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. And then, like, the only question is, like, is it going to be an interesting disaster and, like, an exciting disaster and a useful disaster, or is it going to be, like, a disaster that makes you, like, you know, quit? But I felt like, I mean, I guess we all do, but, like, Mm -hmm. I always got a sense from you, like, you were always on the verge of, like, being like, this is too insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like, I got, like, just, I just got my own anxiety problems, and it's, it, it's weird, though, to, like, it's, like, for a very long time, I was, like, hung up in this point where, like, I would imagine, like, stopping music, and it could feel, like, really, um, at least stopping, like, pursuing it, uh-huh. and it would feel, like, really, like, a really good idea. You know what I mean? I'd be like, cool, because this means, like, I don't have to worry about this, I don't have to worry yeah. about this, I don't have to freak out all the time. And I don't always, like, do great on tour, like, I've gotten better, but there'd be times where I'd, like, I didn't really want to go on for more than, like, 14 days. Yeah. You know? But I was so desperate to be out there and to perform and to to do that stuff that I would, like, deal with that. And, like, uh, so it would feel really good when I would sometimes imagine giving it up. Uh-huh. And then, but then, like, that idea would also be, like, just incredibly scary. Because right. I didn't know what else I had in my life besides my creative pursuits. Like, what I had to, like, I'm not, like, like I don't have, like, uh, I don't have, like, any, like, bankable skills. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And I, and, and it's also, like, when, when I'm, like... Performing, it's, it, it's, that's like, a, it's like all I want to do. You know what I mean? It's like, right. It's like all I want to do. So, um, so it was really tough. And then it was like really just the transition into doing poetry that made it easier to like not do music so much. Um, cause I had something then to put in its yeah. place. Do you think also too, it's, it's harder when you don't drink or, do drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, like, it's just, uh, that could be part of it, that I don't uh, drink or do drugs. I, I mean, I, I don't know. That's what I, th- like, yeah, myself, yeah. I, right. I it's like, it's just, there's just so many situations where, like, I'm like, the only person that's annoyed right yeah, now is yeah. me, because everybody else is, like, right. 40% well, drunk. Right. It's sort of like, yeah, it's like when you're going on tour, it's like, like, I'm not, like, enjoying the skeezy aspects for their own sake. Yeah. But there are, like, other people who go on tour and they are enjoying right, that right. part. Like, where you're just sort of, like, hanging out in the green room and people have these great ideas. and Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah, exactly, right. No, that's definitely true because really it's, like, and I don't even necessarily like going out that much. I get, I got, like, as I, you learned earlier tonight, I go to bed at, like, 7.30 right. p.m. now and get up uh, at 3 a.m. Insane. Yeah. But it's the, uh, in uh, Sikhism, it's called the Umrit Vela, that time of morning. So, like, it's cool because it's, like, before dawn and you get up and then you do these prayers. And it's just, like, a super peaceful mm. time of day. So the idea is, like, you start... It is kind of awesome. Like, if anyone, if you can hack it, I'd really suggest uh, getting up at three because it's like, <laughs> it's like, it, it's like you have this incredible stretch of time before dawn to get like a super intense piece inside yourself so that by the time like you actually have to, you know, do stuff for the day. It's like you've already uh, 
you've already put so much work into just being very chill. Yeah. So, um, so it fits into that. So, it, so it's particularly with that, like as a lifestyle, it's no show is over by seven. Yeah. <laughs> so. And, and I would like, and it's like, there's so much waiting. It's like when people are like, oh, I'm thinking of being in a band and like, you know, being like in a serious band. It's like, well, how interested in, in like, uh, moving really, really heavy things are you? Right. And like, you know, like, are you down with like, you know, like moving them through the snow all the time? Yeah. And like, just all, you know, like how about sitting around and like smelling like cigarettes and like, you know, it's all this stuff, whatever. Maybe I sound like so, it's such a baby. Some other people are probably like, whatever. No, no, no. Like... This kind of this stuff I like to address. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, if stopping things felt like yeah. this awesome, like, relief in mm-hmm. your mind, yeah, like, yeah. thinking about it, did, what, did it feel awesome when you did shut it down as far as music? Uh, well, it was just hard. Like, it was just such a slow shift from, like... To ramp up the poetry and to feel like that I was really doing something on the level that I was doing in music, like, uh-huh. took long enough where it was like, you know, I mean, I could come up with a million reasons to, like, fret about my life, so. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, like, I don't know, if I think maybe if you're an anxious person, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily change anything. It really right, right. change like, like, for example, like, now I'm very active writing, uh, very, very active writing poetry, and, you know, we have kids and stuff and young kids, so I don't do as much performing, but it's like I'm getting back into that. Um, but I could be just as crazy now, but really what it is is it's like I changed my entire attitude. And, well, I like still am my same personality, but I like changed my point of view and like my whole lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like it's like I think if I I think I, I think I could have done that in a band. Really? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like. I could I could bring the approach I have now, like where I feel a lot more centered and um Yeah. Everything and like and do that in a band. Well what what made you get this new outlook? Well, it was like uh I it was like a crisis. It was like everything kinda came to a crisis where um I just this is super bizarre and this is kinda dark, I guess. Uh it was as as we were waiting, like, you know, maybe we four months out from our first kid being born, from Asher being yeah. born, um, I had this terrible dream one night, and and I woke up in the middle of the night from the dream, and I was like, I'd never had a dream span. And uh, I was still, like, flipping out from this dream, and it was... And then I finally made it back to sleep, and then when I woke up in the morning, I didn't feel any better. It was like... Because what it was like, what happened in the dream was that I realized that death was real. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and yeah. so it, the idea of like mortality just became so incredibly present. Yeah. Uh, to my consciousness, the whole everywhere I went, everything I did, it was very strange. It was a very, very strange way to be, and it was like, um, I would like talk to people on the phone, and so like when. Any kind of loved one, friend, family member, whatever, like, I would, like, hang up the phone with them, and then I'd be like, they're going to die someday, and I'm going to die someday. Yeah. It was like every moment, every everything reminded me of it. 
And then it was like, you know, and, and obviously it must have had something to do with like, and here we are bringing yeah. this new person into this situation, you know, into the situation of being alive. Yeah. And so it was like, uh, it was just completely crazy. It was, it was very, very difficult uh, for a while. And I'm sure it was like very diff like harder for Melanie than anybody. Cause she like, cause I was just like, uh, probably like emotionally kind of useless for a little while. Yeah. And, um, but so, it, so then it was like, so from there is where I got into Siki. So it was like, uh, I found this Sikh poetry. So there's the first Sikh guru's name is Guru Nanak Dev Ji. And so the central, uh, he's credited with the central Sikh prayer, which is called Japji Sahib. And so that's the one that everyone reads in the morning, first thing. And so the premise is basically like it's a critique of religious practice. It's a critique of superstition. And so it's like being like there's nothing to do. Uh, there's no like amount of washing that purifies you, right? There's no amount of meditation that will bring you silence. And there's no amount of fasting that cures your hunger is how it starts essentially. Um, all you need to do is to connect with this stillness, which is, which is real and always present. And so the, you know, and you might've heard something like that before from some other past, right? That there is like a oneness and that this oneness is everywhere. So, but like part of the, the emphasis in Siki is that, um, this oneness has never not existed. And so when you start asking a question like, you know, what's up with death? Like what, why is death? Okay. Like what, you know, what's, what's the upside here? How do we deal with this? Yeah. It's like, you might have, there might be a more specific answer for different six, like exactly. I mean, and there, there are more specific answers in different parts of scripture, Yeah, but, uh, but there is like a basic answer which is that none of it's really going to be a problem mm. one way or another, because anything that was really, truly true has always been around. The only thing that could disappear, the only thing that could die was, is the, are the, the illusion, you know, just the illusory um, yeah. aspects of the world. So that was the thing that was kind of like, what I would hold on to for a while because it didn't, it wasn't saying like death is okay because there's going to be this heaven and trust me. It was sort of saying like anything that passes away wasn't permanent. Right. It's almost right. like, you know, uh, self explanatory. So, uh, so that was like this, the beginning of this new outlook. And then also it fit with, uh, my style well because i uh it's all based around you know memorizing poetry reciting poetry like all of the scriptures are mm. scripture is in poetry and uh it can all be sung and it is sung and so um even when it's recited like spoken it's very um it's very specific and rhythmic and musical and um so it was like about really kind of diving into this like amazing visionary poetry and then using that as a way to connect. So like 
everything that is just is, and then the only question about what you can do is, like, notice that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like, you can't make the universe any greater than it is. You can't make it any more okay than it is. But you can know that it's okay. Yeah. You know, you can keep your mind in that place as much as you can. Mm. So that's kind of like what the practice is in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it, obviously. And so I couldn't, you couldn't like, you know, break it down in five minutes. Um, but that was the part of it that, that I found very um, useful to me. And it was kind of like where I felt like it was all right to go on living. It was all right to, uh, it was all right to not, to never be famous. It was all right to, uh, whatever <laughs> yeah you know what i mean to do just to try to do the right thing and uh live well did that kind of happen at the same time as moving up here too or uh around the same right so yeah. you know like when people like convert to a religion or whatever it's like it's always like a super slow process so like yeah. what happened when i was in the middle of this crisis is i found this one central poem japji sahib and i like reached out uh to some people like um Ami Dang, you know. Oh yeah. Ami. Yeah. So she was very, very helpful at first. So she's mm. uh sick and she uh like just kind of showed me around a little bit. And uh um but like so at first really I wasn't it's not like I was a sick at first. I just was like someone who was super interested in, in reciting these poems. Yeah. And so I would, like, have this to lean on, uh, like, for a while, right? So that was, say, like, 2010, 2011. And then uh, we moved up here in, like, February 2013. So it was, like, you know, like, uh, that was maybe when I was, like, identifying as a sick, you know, like, by that point, probably. Uh, But at that point, actually, I had started growing my hair long, uh, and I was, like, kind of waiting, thinking that, you know, like, when it gets too long that I can't put it in, like, a bun under this hat, I'm going to I'm gonna tie a turban. But yeah. then I got cancer. And so I had to go through chemo and lost all my hair. So it set back my um, my turban plans uh, by, like, a year <laughs> or whatever. So. And um, there was a gurdwara around here that I, uh, in Syracuse, that... I was, like, too embarrassed to go to when I was, like, in my reptile phase mm. of hairlessness. Yeah. Talking right now, it's striking me how many, like, crazy changes have gone down <laughs> in, like, very recent. Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. Do you feel like the religious stuff helped helped you with the cancer and everything too. absolutely i yeah. mean the cancer was nuts uh i'd say though like it's like to be fair it's like the biggest thing that helped me with the cancer was melanie <laughs> you right, know what i mean right. in the most like real actual way of course practical way but for sure i mean i got i had already found sicky by the time that the cancer hit but it was i still went super low in, yeah during the cancer it's like the chemo is just like, so I got diagnosed with testicular cancer in the chemo regimen. Like, I'm not saying I would even want to trade it for some other chemo regimens. Cause so some people do something where it's like maybe every two weeks you go in for one session. And so you end up having like a good weekend, a bad weekend, a good weekend, a bad weekend. And like, 
up and down like that for a huge period of time. Mine was like on a three week cycle, but it would be like five days a week, like every day for five days. And then two weeks, they're called the off weeks, but you still go in one day those weeks. And then you go back in for five more days a week. So like however many cycles you do, you do it like that. You do a five day week and then you do one day and one day. So I went through two cycles, just six weeks, but uh, time really slows down. Like the nausea gets really crazy, and then you um, you end up being on like four or five anti-nausea medications at the same time, and one. So like, and it builds, right? So like, it, first you just like feel crummy, right? And then it kind of goes on and on, and then you start feeling so bad, it's like gets to be an issue because you can't really keep food down. Yeah, and so by then it's like you could maybe get this like steroid to try to kill the nausea and it might work like it might work pretty well. But then anytime that I'd had to take the steroid, uh, I like couldn't sleep Mm. and I would like stare at the clock and the minutes would go so slow and I still felt so bad. I like kind of couldn't read or do anything. And it would like, so four hours under while taking the steroid for the nausea would feel like, I don't even know how long. I mean, it would feel like 100 years. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so that was, like, very bad, and it was really crazy by the... Uh, I owed all these people um, manuscripts. So, like, I had to finish this play that Mason Ross was going to direct. Right. And I had to finish this poetry manuscript that Alejandro Ventura was putting out as under this, like, Cars Are Real imprint. And... Um, then I get the cancer and I go through the chemotherapy and uh, and then coming out of it, like I really seriously couldn't edit this stuff. I, I couldn't finish these projects very well. Like sure. I, um, I couldn't figure out what made something interesting anymore. Like in a very very basic way, I didn't really get what made writing interesting. I didn't get what made art interesting. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't like anything that I was dealing with. So it was like, but I knew I had to finish this stuff. Mm. Like, so it was sort of like, and you know, Melanie again, like it's so, it's so tough. I, I feel bad that anyone had to ever be around me during this um, phase because I had to finish these things. So I was just going through this period, but it was so depressing to work on because I yeah. could, I it was like, I had to like work on them every day. And then I would just like break down after working on them. And just like, I don't know. It was just the worst. <laughs> it yeah. was really, really bad. And then like, you know, and and I don't like, you know, the, then the play went out and and some people, it was kind of like put down in these reviews, uh, and which what? is cool, obviously. Like, but why was it? I didn't understand that. It was like, I mean, we talk about stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time, but like, why do people do? A bad review of a thing that of like, like a totally unknown, incredibly obscure, like yeah, like here's a thing that you've probably never ever heard of. Yeah, and now you know about it, and you know that it's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I but, felt like it was a pretty harsh review. Yeah, yeah, it was a crazy review. Um, I I actually had like a weird theory about the guy who wrote that really negative review was because uh, he wrote this Springsteen thirty three and a third on Born in the USA. Mm. And I did this lecture on Springsteen one time. Right. right. That, and I basically was saying, like, Born in the USA was, like, was like um, 
not the boss's best, and yeah. it was kind of like unfortunate. And it was like the stuff that he did before Born in the USA was better. And uh, just in case the boss ever listens to this, I don't want to say anything too negative about Born in the USA. It's yeah, a big fan. But uh, and there was a man at the at the lecture who afterwards was like, "I love Born in the USA," and I was like, "Oh, I guess I kind of trashed it in the thing." And he was like, "Yeah, man, I think it's his best work." And it was kind of like this weird tense moment. So I wonder if it was this guy. It could be. And that maybe. I mean, I'd like to believe, I guess, that it was yeah. beef. I, I shouldn't talk about this guy. I don't know. I don't know this guy. He's fine. He can. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, it's not his fault that he didn't like a play, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Um, it's fine. But did you, because of the situation mm-hmm. under which you wrote it, did you yeah. have, like, doubt? Like, maybe. Absolutely, absolutely. Black. And these really cool people like I was so prone to doubt I, I was it's hard to explain I mean anyone who goes through it like there's it's it's like a thing that people go through depression right yeah. depression and anxiety like so there's actually a million people who could totally understand what I'm talking about uh but if you don't experience it yourself it's just like it's it's just very very hard to like explain because as you're talking about it you're like this sounds like I'm kind of describing like nothing but it was like ruining my life yeah, it was like it was like yeah it was exactly it was all-encompassing so whatever but you know obviously like y- you have the downtimes and um and they suck in and of themselves but um there is like there's a saying in in Siki that's like um it's essentially like uh pleasure is the disease or like Basically, like, good fortune is the disease and bad fortune is the cure. Mm. And so it's, like, this idea, essentially, that, like, if you go through life where, like, everything's just fine, you may never have, like, a moment to, like, sit and think and question and, like, investigate what's going on. And you may never, like, find that, that seriously still center point. You know, like, so... Those are like all these insane things. Obviously, are like the things that that brought me to like realizations and moments that are like completely amazing, and I feel very, very lucky to have. So yeah, you know. But yeah, like looking back on these these times, they were really crazy. And there was like I actually started feeling so negative about that play that I not of what the the people who put it on. Mason is like an amazing director, and everybody who did the. Uh, who everyone who acted in it was, like, totally awesome. Um, but I felt so funky about the script that, like, this really cool group of people in Baltimore were talking about wanting to, like, maybe put it out, like, as a book. Uh-huh. And I was, like, really psyched about the idea, but I could just never, like, be... Like, I was like, ah, it's not done, you know, like, I gotta, like, fix problems with it. And then I, like, just, like, couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. Like, couldn't deal with it. Did you have a point where, like, you know, after this super tough time, like, with writing, where you were like, now I'm, like, back in the saddle? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, definitely. It it, it was super slow. Uh, but, like, if this could be, I feel like this, <laughs> if this podcast is useful to anyone, maybe it'll be useful to somebody who... Uh, uh, who's dealing with this and I can just be like the, it, it gets better person. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is totally like possible to be a serious screw up, uh, in every emotional way and then like fight out of it. And it's, it's definitely possible. So like, um, it, 
it just takes an incredibly long time of like trying to ch- change how you think, you know, because mm. the it's like what you just end up with these mental habits, you know, like every time, every time a certain thing happens, you get the thought like, oh, it's because I suck or something. That's just like that's a weird. That's just like now it's like an ingrained reaction. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so like it just it's it's just going to be slow to keep, stop doing that. And, and what are you changing it? Two. I'm changing it to more like, so, you know, like, maybe people who aren't down with religion, maybe this sounds weird, and I'm totally cool with people who aren't into religion, but, um, like, it's more like, well, uh, my stuff may not be good, but, wh- like, why should it be? Like, yeah. Oh, so you know what I'm saying? Like, like, what, what makes me so special that my stuff should be amazing <laughs> or that I should be lauded. I guess really like I want to work really hard and make my stuff good, but, uh, uh, and there, and, and so that, that, that's one of the things is sort of just like trying to really think about what humility means. And it sort of means that like, you don't get to be treated like a genius in a world of 7 billion people. Right. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just not something you ever deserved, you know? And, um, the other thing is this, a friend of mine, uh, Farley Elliott, uh, is a good poker player. And, uh, you know, if you first start learning to play poker, a lot of people will tell you like, play really tight. And that means if you've got, um, just so, so cards don't stay in, you know, like only stay in with very good cards. Mm -hmm. And so after playing for a while, his attitude changed from that, um, from that like point of view to saying like the problem with only staying in is if you have really good cards is that usually no one has really good cards. So if you're out and someone else stays in, like it's, they're going to get it. Yeah. And so I think about that a lot too. Like sometimes I think like, well, you know, like maybe my poetry isn't like the greatest thing ever, but there's a lot of stuff that's not the greatest thing ever. And it still has like a place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like other people are kind of coming with stuff that's not the greatest thing ever. Yeah. So why should I sit out? Mm. I have no idea what this is coming off like. I think it's coming off real cool. Cool. Um, I feel like we're kind of at the present day. Yeah, yeah, so sure. Is there anything else that you uh, feel like mentioning? Yeah. If you like this, like, uh, you know, uh, ride through... Uh, depression. I probably sounded like someone who's like very, very unstable. I don't think of myself that way. Maybe I am. I don't know. Anyway. Not at all. Uh, yo, so, I've got yeah, I've got this poetry manuscript called uh, Your Skull a Cathedral, which I'm shopping around, and another one called All This Was Instantaneous, and I'm doing uh, these English translations. Oh, well, something I didn't mention, this is like a whole part of this whole thing, is that I ended up going to Punjab. I went to so part of this whole like sick uh, journey got me like translating a lot of this poetry into English, um, and so I ended up going to Punjab. Uh, I went to Chandigarh, uh, which is you know it, someone might tell you it's not technically in Punjab, but it's in Punjab, uh, and learned Punjabi, which helps translating this. Um, sick stuff. So that was 
a thing I've been working on a lot lately is working on uh, translating poetry of the Sikh gurus and then also of uh, uh, this uh, famous Sikh poet by Nandalalji. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm also like kind of trying to see what I can do with those things or wh- who wants to put those kinds of things out. Um, and those that's that's it. You can't you can't Google it because it doesn't exist yet. Cool. Well, thanks so much, my man. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes. We'll see you next week.